Welcome back to Recorded Conversations, the podcast that's dedicated to compassionately considering all perspectives while engaging in authentic, connected dialogue. I'm Danielle Kingstrom. I have a real treat for you today. My really good friend, Sky Silverwind, joins the conversation. And it's a long conversation, but it was beautiful because we just kept going. There were so many topics that we just kept throwing down and talking about. And these are the conversations that I appreciate the most. They're unscripted. I had no notes. We just had this free flow. And he shared so much of his youthful wisdom, and I can't wait for you to hear it. I appreciate his open-mindedness and his refusal to just conform to what the systems and the status quo demand of us. He's young, and I learn so much from him. He reminds me of my children. And that's a good thing, right? Often we diss on the youth. We diss on millennials and and all of the younger generations and act like they're never going to amount to something that we are like the Gen X or like boomers. And I have so much hope in our youth. I have so much optimism for the changes that our world will see because of these young, spirited, inquisitive people that are going to are going to take the charge and are going to take us into the progress of the future. And I'm just really excited about that. And I'm really excited about this conversation. I'm going to recommend that if you have children, you might want to remove them from the room. We get sexual. You know, we he shares so many experiences. He's in a new relationship and he's learning so much. And because I'm an erotic embodiment advisor, he knows that he can throw these topics down to me and I'm going to meet them um, without judgment and try and see if I can't either just give him the space to kind of talk out what he wants to say. But I also address a lot of things. And I mean, I think those conversations, those discussion points that we kind of crack open are really imperative for people who are struggling with um, their sexual lives, with their sexual identity, and everything else that is erotic about our life that seems to be very confusing. So I believe that Sky kind of just helps add on more layers to that understanding. Listeners, really, I'm so excited about this conversation. Please compassionately consider the perspective of my dear friend, Sky Silverwood. Enjoy the episode. Hi everybody. My uh, my name is Sky Silverwind, and I'm a 21 uh, year old uh, white male living in um, Wyndham, Maine. All the way up there. Yep, just chilling out over in New England. So I met you, I think, through some kind of libertarian exchange, if I remember correctly. I I think so too. We were just starting to meet each other. I was 17 at the time, I believe. So you're one of my oldest Facebook friends. 
I think. And uh, I hadn't be I hadn't become an anarchist yet. <laughs> I was still libertarian at that point, and that was that was when I think I met you. And then we both started delving into some very different topics than what we were used to. Yes. And we went from there. Yeah. I remember having some pretty awesome initial exchanges with you, and you were very intellectual, so I kept you around because you were pretty cool. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, and I think I have like spun out into like so many different little groups to just try and figure out that puzzle of life that to even say where I stand right now on anything, I'm like, I don't know, I'm still figuring shit out. But I was really drawn to you because I was like, this kid is freaking so like consciously open to so much that you don't see very often in your generation. And so no, no. I had, I had a very particular interest in you. I was like, this kid's awesome. Like I learned shit from him. Amazing. <laughs> you know? And uh, I, um, love, I love doing that. Yeah. Well, um, in a lot of ways, it was just really nice. It was breathtaking actually. Cause I'm like, man, I hope my kids can kind of get this open-minded about life and can go through and kind of like peel back stuff and really look at it and examine it, which I think, think I'm noticing them doing now too. And it's kind of, I'm kind of like, cool. I love seeing just a younger generation kind of peel back um, from all the systemic bullshit that seems to <laughs> overwhelm everybody. Um, yeah, and you, really yeah, yeah. So what kind of stuff are you paying attention to right now? What do you mean? Like, like world events or, or life events or? Yeah, let's go with twofold here. What are you noticing about the world out there? Let's say within the political me media influence over society and how is that showing you a reflection in your own personal life? Well, honestly, these days I just see so much crap and I can't process it all. So I just, I filter out a lot. I am not made aware of major political events until like two or three days after they happen and the memes start coming out. Um, but I'm definitely, I'm, I'm pretty much don't even need to pay attention because I'm just not on board with any part of any political process in this country. I'm not Democrat. I'm not Republican. I'm not even libertarian. And I pretty much hate everybody in a seat of power. So uh, <laughs> it's very simple for me. I just don't like any of them. And I'd really rather be left alone to my hobbit house in the fucking woods. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yes. I'm kind of the same way. I like living in a bubble and um, I like being away from people. Like I literally, my, my closest neighbor is a mile away on either side, on every side. And yeah. it's really nice to be able to do that because I feel like I'm further insulated and shielded from a lot of the bullshit. And, and honestly, I can't, I can't deal with all the bullshit probably like, like you or others can't deal the same way because there's just so much of it to take in. Like the human brain takes in 600 times the amount of media than we used to before technology became a huge thing. So now we're pumped, overloaded and I can't always freaking handle it, you know, like, so I gotta, I gotta shut off, turn the world off for a while because there's always something going wrong every day and I'm just got to move by it. <laughs> I hear that. And you know, this would be like the most perfect time to do it this whole last COVID year where you would think, and I think that was a silver lining I was looking for too, is like, people are going to be a little bit more introverted and they're going to really understand what it's like to be with themselves. And then what we're noticing is people don't know how to be with themselves or the same people every day in such close confinement where they feel like they're spilling over each other because we've always had that outlet we can get out and now we're afraid of it and it's almost like people are waking up and starting to realize they're afraid of themselves because they might Which, be it's true 
I'd, yeah. I'd actually say that's quite true. And they're afraid of each other as well now. The COVID hasn't helped. It's pretty much had everyone treating everyone else like lepers and it has destroyed a neighborly conduct, you know, except yeah. among small towns like yours and people I know, like I keep my circle small for a reason because everybody's bitching at me for something or other these days. Yeah, everybody <laughs> is is like volatile. Everybody is just ready to erupt like a volcano. And it's interesting you say that. Our community is pretty quiet, I think. And I think a lot of people out here want this whole, we have this really quaint civilized mentality, but there's actually been so much controversy. I mean, even with masks out here, you know, the majority of people don't want to wear masks. They're like, fuck your masks. I ain't wearing a mask. But yeah. there are still other people who are like, well, we have to respect the rules and the ordinances. And if we get busted serving someone without a mask, we can lose our business license. So there's that regard. And so you have those little infights and issues and people getting kicked out of stores and banned from stores. Yeah, oh, the masks are really dividing people, I've noticed. And, and it's unfortunate God. because if, if everybody was just left the personal decision to wear a mask or not, I, I feel like we'd all be getting along a lot better. Because me personally, I drown in those things. Like I have a legit medical condition where yeah. I cannot breathe. If I put on even a single ply mask, it sends me into panic attacks and I hate it. I can't, I can't do that. That's, it's made it so I'm out of freaking work right now. And everything because their Maine is one of the states that loves to crack down on that stuff and they have the population's given them real authority over the businesses and everything just because they've bent over and taken it in the ass so hard like it's kind of been sad to watch um but places places like yours where there's a little more resistance if everybody could just realize hey if you want or need to wear a mask go ahead because that's if the, you feel you need to do that that's your choice. If I do not calculate my risk to be incredibly high and I don't wear a mask, that's also my choice. You know, it, it really, really should be choice-based. And that's what will get rid of a lot of controversy in this country. Um, exactly. Realizing that. we have choice. But yeah, it seems like people are either afraid we're losing our choice or other people are like, no, you don't have a choice. You, you have to listen to the experts, to the authority. Yeah. Yeah. which is sad because in some way we're not being given a choice and that's that's big when folks want to force one way of lifestyle on another it doesn't matter i could i could see people in the streets dropping from the plague and i would still be like i'm not forcing nobody to do anything because i don't know anything about their life right. i don't know why they're not wearing a mask perhaps perhaps it's merely civil disobedience okay that's our right i suppose so if he's going to get sick then that's his issue i can't afford to worry about those people mm -hmm. and you know I, I just, I would really rather leave it up to everybody else, but it's really driven the country in half. What with the politicians seizing control, which is another reason why I don't like anybody in office because they're all pretty much on board with the same thing. <laughs> I know, right? What did we learn with Revenge of the Sith about emergency powers and the Republic? They never get given back and then they turn into empires. Mm. <laughs> yes. And that's exactly what I see growing right now. And for me, I'm like, well, we can focus on that and these ideas that, you know, authority is, is taking our rights away and taking our power away. But there's something in me that says we can still be resilient to that and grow from that. I saw something recently this week. It was a sermon being given, some German preacher I follow, and he was talking about, you know, these ideas that were preached in the Gospels in the Bible about what Jesus was trying to convince us to be aware of in that we can't fight the government because we're never going to win. And we need to find out how to find our peace, 
even with those powers that are lurching over us. And so I see more people in this kind of movement towards transcendence and consciousness that are like, forget about all that stuff. Let's focus on what's important, connection with other people. And if you see these things taking place that you don't agree with, that you feel like are oppressive, then the answer is in turn, don't do it. And let's focus on what we can do to kind of like erase that debt of that, that, that power that's sucking energy away from people and just pump energy back into life with something more positive. And yeah, you're not, you're not wrong. It's uh, it's in a lot of ways. I mean, I have no problems with resistance against authority, even violent resistance, if it comes down to that, because people's lives get threatened and stuff in many situations. But it, if, if, oppression is inevitable, it's best to try and create a paradigm that merely makes it obsolete rather than fighting it directly. Yeah. Because you never can win by fighting it directly. You have to simply make a new model that makes everybody go, everybody go pshaw, we need the new update. Yeah. And then boom, you've taken authority out from under its heels if you simply don't acknowledge its existence. And that's the problem a lot of people have is that they bend over and they take it no matter what the government says. But if we were all to just look at them and say, fuck off, what are they going to do? Arrest everyone? <laughs> if we yeah. start putting energy in our, into our communities, what are they going to do? Force us to redirect it? Yeah. If we start caring about our neighbors, really, what are they going to do? <laughs> and, you know, what I see happening is, you know, the government was created for a benefit, but in its detriment, it has gotten so intertwined with relationships and with mm -hmm. how people interact with one another on a day-to-day -day basis and like as if the government can somehow create and cultivate a relatable society when that wasn't the nature of the government in the first place. And it so my- less like a legislator and more yeah. like a parent to mediate yeah. between everyone and everyone and have con uh, complete control over all situations so as to transfer justice out to all. But that's you, obviously never how it works. Right. Folks folk ended up relying on it way too much. And we lost the capability for- consensual interaction to be the mere basis for everything because mm -hmm. i mean hell it doesn't matter what kind of relationship platonic mildly mildly relationship um sexual it's all it's all based on consent and and agreement between parties yeah so we we lost that art to just treat thy neighbor as you would wish to be treated yeah yeah we've which is all you need to run an effective society <laughs> It really is. And it's, we've, we've lost the erotic component of everything. Like we've yep. shattered the erotic layer. And I, I find that there are more people that are seemingly trying to bring it back into the fabric of society. Like, and, and I see this, this transpired through feminism too, is this kind of an, an idea towards eroticizing it. Um, and mm -hmm. making politics more inclusive and more relational. But I mean, that still pushes against my idea. I don't think the pol politics should be involved with relationship. Politics needs to be involved in other- Politics ruins relationships. I really, they, yeah, they, it really they, does. There was, couple, there was couples back in 2016 that had major fights and splits because one of them liked Hillary and one of them liked Trump. And that was about as simple as it got. And it sucked because politics destroy- love by setting people against each other that's all politicians do is divide and conquer and that's how you keep a populace down and obedient you know so they just you involve politics in your relationships and especially in your love life you're asking for trouble you know you're playing with fire which mm. it's also good in that case to try and find someone who 
thinks in a lot of the same ways as you because political upheavals in a household can be huge which is why I really, really like my girlfriend right now because she's pretty much on the same level of fuck literally this entire situation and let's just go run to the woods and hide with our farm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's be with each other. Let's not worry about the outside world and let's focus on, and that kind of takes into that whole, you know, think globally but act locally initiative, that idea yeah. in that it's good to see what the problems are with the world but we can't expect that like I'm independently going to solve all of those. So I can say, here are the problems. How can I prevent those problems from cultivating within my own household? How you can, can only I work within your own household and only work exactly. within your own community? That's all you're ever going to friggin' yeah. affect unless you're like some friggin' global millionaire or something. You simply don't have global pushing power. And even exactly. if you were, if you're not in the big club that friggin' bands together basically to keep the planet as they want it, you get friggin' assassinated or just decredited or whatever else they feel like doing to you. So it's just it's hard to affect the world on a global scale. You gotta let you gotta let God and and the the, the spirits and everything else just work that out for you. In I the know. meantime, you have to focus on creating your own reality that you want, which is gonna help you f- uh, formulate the global reality. I agree. Because it, if you move yourself into a paradigm that you're happy with, you're gonna watch as the rest of the world follows you. There was serious wisdom in what uh, I believe it was Gandhi who said, who, who said something along the lines of uh, be the change you wish to see in the world. Yeah. Yeah. I really love that quote. Yeah. And it's really that. true. You have to be it. And, and it's maybe, maybe some of the problems is in that, that paradox of choosing to do or to be. And we yeah. are so focused on doing and being productive and striving towards some sort of achievement and success rather than am I being authentic and am I being, um, am, am I being the truth seeker that I, I believe that I should be and, and am I being altruistic and am I considering other people instead of what am I getting from me, 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 me. And so am I being find- the best person I can be rather than yes. am I getting the best stuff I can have? Exactly. There's nothing wrong with materialism in general. Like we need material things, but there's a difference between, you know, abundance and waste. Mm -hmm. I desire abundance. This is natural. I want to feed myself because I get friggin' hungry. I'm thirsty. I want good water, you know? I want love. So me and my girlfriend have some bedroom adventures, you know? So like we just have basic human needs, but wanting abundance is different than wanting massive wealth. You know, mm. I could care less about the millions and the, and the fame and the, the, the being on stage. Cause honestly, I hate being on a stage anyway. Yeah. Um, I just want a peaceful life with grow, growing my plants, taking care of my animals, making sure that my wife is happy, you know, just mm. really simple desires from this one. <laughs> the simple life. Yeah. That's, ex- that's exactly why I am where I am at on this farm in this bubble three miles from town. I am surrounded by nature and I swear ever since I've been here, every year just gets better and just developing an existential awareness about reality and really finding the joy in everything and moving through the suffering easier than I ever thought I could be. I think we're so disconnected from nature, which is truly the first erotic component of all of the dimensions. I mean, is at the heart of nature and being connected with nature and having a dependence and a relationship with nature and then with an other, with a beloved. 
Yep. Yep. I, I totally agree. And that's a lot, a lot of where we connected at first, me and my current girlfriend, Lauren, um, her name, her name is Lauren Clark, um, for, for y'all's information. And she's frigging awesome. Uh, we go on nature walks, not so much in the winter. Cause we're not, we're not fans of the cold. Uh, it's been like seven degrees the past couple of days, but we love nature and we, we connected in nature. We connected with a love of nature. I have a lot of artifacts that she takes um, a lot of interest in. I have a pair of owl wings. I cut off a dead owl I found, things like that. And amethyst geode shells all over my you know table. I got a rabbit pelt, all, all sorts of stuff. And I, I love that stuff. And during, during the summer, me and her plan to go out, have picnics and everything because we need to be in nature and away from all this bull crap especially since in the forest, I don't got to put a friggin' mask on. Or at least that, no, nobody better be bitching about that in the forest because it's the goddamn forest. <laughs> and how truly erotic is that to discover nature's pleasures and let that be your gratification and joy in life? And instead of thinking that our, our success is defined by all of the things that we can, we can buy off of Amazon. I, I yeah. really love that. I, I have an appreciation for... For natural beauty too. I mean, I'm in finding all of nature's pleasures and everything. I mean, a couple of years ago we had dairy cows and I was out there in literal minus 20 degree temperature, you know, milking them. And my husband was out there and that itself is just such a bonding experience in that Ooh, it's fucking cold out here. Fuck. But we're doing this together. And it's kind of like, this is nice. And we're doing this together and we're doing this for each other. And we're, you know, the milk was for the family and we were providing sustenance. And even through the suffering, you can see this beauty and also this sensual connection that you can share with another person. I think so Absolutely. many people miss out on all those simple things. They do. And that's, that's why I take pleasure in the fact that both me and my girlfriend love cooking for each other. Mm. That's something we take great pride in is that we make really good food to feed each other. And that's kind of both of our care aspects for each other. It's a, it's a, it's an erotic thing that a lot of people miss out on mm. these days. Everybody's concerned with, you know, the, all the expensive shit and the successful boyfriend who has a really good job and lots of money and all that or whatever, or the girlfriend who's like a model or something. And everybody forgets that you can literally just go into the kitchen and make some freaking chicken salad. And that's one of the most romantic moments of your entire week. You know, it really <laughs> is. you know, that's something my husband and I do. Corey, he's not much of a cook, although he does cook sometimes. Cause I'm like, I don't want to tonight, but we're always in the kitchen t together when I'm making dinner and you know, we have a center Island and I'm always prepping everything there. And he just sits at the counter with me and we talk about our day or what we saw on Facebook or whatever it was. And, or I share with, you know, whatever I, I taught the kids that day for homeschool. And we have this really nice exchange and it's like, we're connecting again. He's been gone at work all day and I've been working all day and we've been doing all these things. But what we're doing right there is, well, we're, I'm helping build this nourishing, you know, meal for him and for my family. That's how I tell people I love you. You know, I, if I cook for you, that's love, right? That's how and my girlfriend is. <laughs> cooking is love. And we even see reflections of that in the Bible. The feasting was such an intimate, erotic thing that people shared. And it wasn't like you just invited everybody over for dinner all the time. It was, if I invite you for dinner, that means something. That means I, I want to get to know you. I want to connect with you. I want to share this intimate space with you. And I think a lot of food today and even the preparation of it is turned into this performance art for Instagram likes. And I'm over here like, 
keep your food over here, do your thing. But are you realizing how erotically intimate it is to prepare food and what food itself is as a gift to another person? And again, these simplistic pleasures. Yeah. Breaking bread. If I break bread with you, that means that I care about you and I want to know more about you and I want to connect with you because you're my brother or you are my sister. Yes, exactly. It's really, it's really important. And I love, I love giving people that food because we all need food to survive. We'll die without it. We'll eventually just eat ourselves. And that's really important because when someone gives you food or shares their food with you, it's essentially them saying, I care about you enough to keep you alive. Yeah. Yeah. It's way more important. And food has lost its love with the factory processing crap and the just, just it's, it's not made with love anymore. It's just prepackaged crap that you can drive through and get, and it doesn't have any meaning anymore. People just eat and then they get sick from all the food being just gross and poisonous mm-hmm. and they've it, food and feasting has lost its love and its charm. And that's why I love that I can cook with my girlfriend and I can eat with my girlfriend and that I, I can share that moment with her like you do with your husband. I can tell her about my day. She can tell me about hers. We can watch Ink Master or Supernatural on Netflix. <laughs> and it's just a really good time. Like we, we, we were a month in and we haven't had a single fight. Like, mm. which, yeah, it's only a month. But at the same time, that's big because yeah. most of my relationships have had at least minor tiffs within that amount of time. And you know, we just yeah. connect so well. <laughs> relationships are so they can be so rewarding and fulfilling and i'm not trying to like tell you it's going to get worse but i actually have an appreciation when the relationship does start getting a little rocky or you start coming to terms with realizing oh i might not be ready to share this kind of level of my feeling with someone and to see the push and pull that takes place and then to see the resilience and the tolerance and the acceptance grow from, you know, whatever dramas and traumas that upset the relationship. And now you're, you had said, and you had said that you have been learning a lot about kind of your erotic self and what you're discovering about your wants and your desires in a relationship and kind of recognizing the, the comfort levels and how they kind of ebb and flow. So I'm curious um, what you've been discovering in, in the erotic zone as you've been kind of developing towards your self-actualization, if you will. Yeah, there's, there's, there's quite a lot on that because I mean, you know, being high helps, but I do think on this a lot. And uh, I actually like my girlfriend, my current girlfriend's taught me a lot as long with my past relationships. And I've come to learn a lot more about what I actually need from someone and what a relationship really means to me. Uh, for one thing, uh, I want I do want to first address what you said is where you take an appreciation in when a relationship gets rocky, the rough patches. And that's, that's quite good. Because yeah. those spur growth and those spur yeah. talks and it spurs conversation and compromise with the right people. Yes. And then your relationship only gets tighter after that. You only love each other more. Like, hey, I'm not saying that me and my girlfriend's relationship has been completely smooth because she, she's had several panic attacks. I've had a couple. My landlord evicted me from my current dwelling. So I'm now living with her as of a week ago. So like there's been some serious drama with us and, and she has her own anxieties about it and stuff. She she got cheated on after two years in a relationship with a boyfriend. So she has anxiety about that. And I just, I just have had to learn to understand that. Like she's had to learn to understand where my brain goes when I'm down, you know, and we just, we, we like a lot of reassurance from each other. 
as for um, that slides really well into um, comfort levels between partners because she's the only girl that I've been comfortable with pretty much from the start. Obviously, I was still tense around her first date because I didn't know her at all, except for, you know, through the Facebook dating uh, conversation we had. But I immediately knew she was a really, really sweet girl. Um, she didn't want to hurt nobody, couldn't even smack a fly unless she really, really, really needed to. Just, just a gentle soul that'll freaking give everybody cookies, you know? And I, I was happy to find something like that because that's exactly the person I want is a peaceful, drama-free individual who's way more into hugs. <laughs> and um, that's increased my comfort level a lot because I need to trust my woman, you know? I need to really, really trust her uh, because I grew up in a household where I was taught abstinence. So I was already afraid of sex in general. I was pretty closed off and repressed. My dad would really go into these long rants about how we needed to basically put a wedding ring on it or we couldn't do it or we'd have sinned against God and stuff. And it was, it was pretty traumatic. So I had to recover from that all through high school. I never had a single date in high school except for right at the end in senior year because everybody knew I was abstinent. So nobody wanted to be with me. <laughs> and it was rough, you know? So I got over that and I, I was already uncomfortable with the idea of sex at first. So I didn't want to have sex with my first girlfriend. All I was okay with was uh, fingering her because I, I figured as long as I kept my dick, you know, you, know, you know, safe, that I was fine. And I still wanted to share that, but I was still scared. And a lot of it's been getting over being scared of an act that's I've come to learn is not inherently sinful. <laughs> it's actually quite divine as far as I'm aware now, and I'm yes. sliding into it a lot more. And I, there's, there's nothing like making someone feel that way because of you, you know? Connecting on, on that level that you can only do so through sex. <laughs> yeah. there's, no, there's nothing quite like it. And um, even so, even after I shed my um, fear of sex, uh, the woman I lost my virginity to, I was in a kind of friends with benefits relationship with her because she was a 31 year old mother of two and we couldn't really get mm. into anything terribly serious. Uh, and she had a way different lifestyle for me anyway. So that all kind of compounded into just me not really trusting where the relationship was going, convincing myself I didn't have feelings and I wasn't going to get hurt. But then we had a fallout and I was hurt anyway. So, you know, it was that that was a that was a big flop and i kind of lost my taste for friends with benefits after the second relationship in which i tried that which i this this one was a little better um this girl named fish moved in with us um and she had my birthday she was born on february 3 and she was an aquarius like me and so i immediately was very intrigued um but she had a boyfriend at the time named logan and so i asked her like i have no problems having sex with you, but you got to be honest with me. Are you in an open relationship? Because I'm willing to be in a sort of friends with benefits slash polyamorous relationship, maybe because Logan ain't too bad. And I like you. It's just, I don't want to, I don't want to stick my dick in other people's business. So it were. Um, and she said that uh, she kind of danced around the question by saying something along the lines of uh, Logan understands I'm a very open person and implying it would be okay with it and come to find out the next morning she lied to me and they were yeah. in an enclosed relationship. And the, obviously there's a reason why that relationship lasted five days other, other than the fact that she went and fucked my friend Phil and then gave me the clap. It was a, it was a fun, that was a fun <laughs> uh, time. But it also got me thinking because I couldn't finish with her. Like, 
almost ever. I wasn't that comfortable with her at all. There was one, one out of the four times we had sex in that <laughs> week that I successfully did. And that was only after 45 minutes of her freaking going at it. And uh, it, it, it reflected, I think, my trust issues I already had with her because I caught, mm-hmm. I caught her dancing around my question the minute she danced around it. I caught her in the lie when the next morning she was like, let's kind of, yeah, not just tell Logan about that. And then I was like, you think I didn't hear that, but I did. And it all came down to comfort level is what I realized. Mm-hmm. Is, and, and that's the difference between me and Lauren is I wasn't comfortable with Kaylee. I wasn't comfortable with Fish but I'm comfortable with Lauren and that's awesome because I actually trust this woman to handle some very delicate equipment, some very personal stuff and to look at me and think I'm beautiful, you know, and it's, it's very new because she's not even, we're not even there for the sex necessarily. Don't get me wrong. It's great. She's a Scorpio and that fucking, that that's already, (laughs) that's already awesome. Uh, but we were little sex fiends. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've dated a few. I know the uh, father. The father of my two eldest children is a Scorpio, and my son is a Scorpio. So I mean, <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> it's, it's friggin' magic, man. But like, we're not even in it. We're not even in it for the sex. We're in it because we look at each other, we understand each other, we connect with each other on a deeper level, and we want the same thing out of this relationship. So that already is a massive improvement and it's not friends with benefits either i'm fully committed and i'm totally glad about it because i really i like the commitment i like the fact that i get to invest myself in a person and i'm not afraid of other people interjecting themselves or or you know you know ruining it by essentially sticking their dick where it doesn't belong <laughs> yeah yeah and i'm i'm liking it uh, I even we even had a good discussion about that whether we were monogamous or polyamorous we needed to nail that down to you know give ourselves an idea of what we were allowed to do and uh, obviously we became monogamous because I'd really rather be committed to one woman it allows me to focus my energy and she gets jealous very easily and I understand that perfectly because with both of us having the self-esteem issues we do it's easy to think that you know the our partner may be stolen by someone who we think is better than us Mm, that's a really good that's a really good point that you address that you both said are we monogamous or are we polyamorous or are we up for open i don't think a lot of people do that people don't establish their boundaries right away they just assume boundaries they assume if we're dating that means this and i love that you guys went out of your way to say what kind of relationship is this and a lot of people don't even want to put labels on it right because because oh men don't like labels or we're just dating or this is just casual or women too or whatever it is and then and i mean i used to be like that i was i was like whatever it is it is and however long it lasts it lasts but then i did get to a point where i was like Well, the rejection of labels can be, you know, to your detriment because if you're not establishing boundaries, you don't have any amount of kind of expectation. And while I would say don't bring expectations into the relationship, I would say once you define your boundaries, you can certainly talk about, okay, if this is my boundary, we're monogamous. That means you're not fucking someone else. That means you're not bringing someone else into it. And if it changes, I expect that we discuss it versus... I'm just going to take your word for it. And if something else changes, you think you're going to be the best person to make the decision on my behalf. So, and that is, 
it is something that I kind of like to focus on when I'm advising people too, that I don't often ever hear people say I've done is, have you established that you're a monogamous relationship? Have you ever then had an annual review, if you will, to say, we've been monogamous this long. Do we still want to remain monogamous? Has anything come to the surface that you think you might be interested in? And I think that would rule out a lot of dilemmas that relationships kind of face throughout the years and a transition and evolution of, well, I heard this one story, but I'm too afraid to tell my partner about it. So that's just a really good foundation to create a relationship on. And so I just want to say thumbs up, Sky. That's awesome. (laughs) Thank you. And I'm, I'm really proud of myself and her for doing that because that's a big problem I've noticed is people failing to establish boundaries while still having them. So like, if you don't tell your partner your boundaries, how the fuck do you expect them not to step over them? You know, yeah. like you're just not going to know they're there and then they're going to be upset and you guys are going to fight. What for? Cause you didn't want to fucking talk. Like <laughs> it's yeah. much easier to just have that conversation and Hey, we needed to have it anyway, because I was honestly curious. My girlfriend's bisexual. And she likes thick girls and I like thick girls. So maybe I figured in the future, if we met another thick girl that maybe we both want to go to town on her or something, but we wanted to, we wanted to make sure of that. And obviously we're going to keep talking about that stuff as life develops. Who knows? She might meet a woman that she's super into the future. And I wouldn't, honestly, my only issue is with dudes because I seem to psychologically view guys as, as, as competition to myself, Uh, but I have zero issues with women. Uh, so like, well, you know, that's actually a, there's actually some biological psychology behind that. I mean, men do view other men as competition and it actually, it, it has kind of a positive effect on it in that it can increase your sperm rate. So <laughs> there's that little tidbit that I just remember reading. Well, who knows? Because she might view other women as competition still in the future. And I don't have a problem with that. It's just, it all comes down mm-hmm. to talking about it. Um, having, you know, good conversations, establishing boundaries and expectations. Cause I, the last thing I want to do is make her feel like she's not loved anymore. Or she's been cheated on, you know, cause I got principles and I don't fucking cheat on women. I do yeah. not. I hate, I hate that behavior. And if you want to, if, if you're interested in someone else, you ought to bring it up to your partner yeah. or, or, or set it against the boundaries you've already set. And, and boundary setting is really important. We, if we didn't set boundaries about where we were at, we wouldn't have nearly the successful relationship that we do. We wouldn't love each other nearly as much because we'd still have these inborn trust issues that we have from past relationships combined with childhood PTSD on both our parts, Mm. probably, probably sexual trauma for her. She just doesn't remember uh, much of it. And me, I have suspicions too. So, you know, we both, we both had a lot to uh, deal with and we, we can't afford to fuck around. Yeah. Now I want to bounce back to that competition thing. I think that's interesting because I tend to notice that when I kind of look outward is that competition has been kind of entangled and intertwined into everything. Like you have to compete for everything. And as a woman myself, I, I remember that messaging growing up that basically all these other women are always your competition. There's always going to be some hussy who's going to try and take your man, who's going to offer you know more head or a sexier way of dress or just a sexual way about her that's always going to make you look less than. And so women especially are kind of in a way groomed to expect that they're not our sisters. They are our nemesis. And we have to watch out for them because they are, pre- they are predators waiting to take our men as their prey. Exact and, same thing with men because we're right. all worried about 
whether or not the man has a bigger dick than us, whether he's yeah. better than his, with his tongue or he has more money, he's got better fashion sense. Sure, hell, these days he could have more smoke paraphernalia and people will cheat literally because of fucking drug ba- re- related reasons. Like it's, it's stupid. And, and we, we've come as a society to view everyone in the same sex and hell, everyone in general as competition. And we, again, we've lost that neighborly love. We've, we've lost that perception of you are my brother and you are my sister and I love you as you are. Shall you do the same for me? And yeah. I miss that about society. And I'm really glad that me and Lauren can reciprocate that because I didn't feel that way in many of my relationships. I didn't, I didn't feel like, I didn't feel like I was getting reciprocation. Me and mm. Lauren, just a constant back and forth of just pure love and affection and care. And it's, it's, it's honestly like drugs to me. Like this is something I've never experienced before. I never would have expected to experience, but it's it's in it's wonderful and and despite all the the competitive imagery and stuff one thing that people always forget is that no matter even if she does give better head even if she's got that sexier dress or that sexier pose or she's more flexible or whatever no woman but the woman you've got is going to have the soul that you fell in love with exactly do not have clones they do not have duplicates mindsets do not have duplicates you will never meet another person like that in your entire life well and that's what's special that that's entirely plausible. Um, and I will agree with you to a point that I hope that if I at some point no longer have Corey in my life, that I can find someone just about as good as him. But with the competition thing, we for ourselves need to erase that idea that someone better is going to come along and remind ourselves that we're enough. And the love is a choice. And if our partner is still with us, they're still choosing us every day. And I can attest that too much jealousy can really just create so many circumstances that you don't want to go through. I mean, Corey was very jealous in the beginning of our relationship and I was too. And that jealousy and that constant assumption that your partner is cheating on you can push you to a point where you're like, I'm already fucking guilty. It's poison. I mean- Right. And, and that happened for us. I mean, that happened the first year I was married. I, I, I cheated on him within nine months of our marriage and he was in Iraq, you know, and as a result, I got pregnant with this other man's baby. And uh, what does Corey do? Right. You know, he's faced with this dilemma. But for so long, I was already guilty. I was going through so many other things in my life, too. And it was just all of this compiling accusation over and over again, always being guilty in someone's eyes can push you to the point where you're like, fine, if I'm guilty, I'm just going to do it. And then for Corey, and I'm not saying this is for everyone, but I think it's possible for Corey. He was like, okay, that was the worst thing you could do to me. And I'm not dead. And I still love you. And I still want to be with you. So we're going to figure this shit out. Right. And so then after that, I got to say, like, most people, you cheat on them, it's friggin' over. Like, oh, it's, it's I, over. I know. And our uh, both of our families wanted us to be done. Um, everybody thought we were crazy. Um, but, I mean, for us, it was, I, we said for better or worse. So we weren't going to split when the worst came. And ever since then, yeah. I don't think we've ever faced anything that, I mean, we've had our problems. We've had dramas and traumas. But... Yeah, and that's that's the important part. If you've if you've created a foundation on 
authenticity and acceptance and trust, your love can only grow to overcome the problems. That's not a get out of jail free card for cheating, but there are, there are these possibilities where just that experience can transform the way both partners see a relationship. When he was willing to forgive me, I was like, shit, I am never fucking this up. But of course there are times where I was always pushing back and it was kind of like, if I were to script it, it was always a point where Danielle was like, oh, do you still really love me? Let's see how much you love me. Right. And so pushing each other, pushing and pushing and pushing him. And it was kind of like, you know, what's weird is over the weekend, we shared this moment together. We were just, I was just doing yoga. I've had this horrible knot in my shoulder and he's been trying really hard over the last week to help me get rid of it. And so we're drinking, there's smoking, there's stuff going on. And we're just sitting there listening to honestly jazz and we Mm -hmm. held hands and it was like, and he said, it felt like I surrendered. I don't know what it was. I lost it. And I just fell into him. And it was like, I had this experience of there's nothing that I could ever do that would make him stop loving me. So why can't I just accept that and surrender to it? And I just fell to pieces. I could not stop crying. But after that, I really kind of, I just looked at him and I was like, that's love, isn't it? Like, you're, you've got me and I need to stop pushing against you and I need to stop sabotaging this, this relationship and thinking that I'm not good enough, right? And so there's that ultimate surrender and when we can get to that point, that ultimate surrender, you can get through everything and then you don't want to keep creating issues to see if you can really get through everything. That's, that's been my concept that's, resolution. That's really awesome too because that ultimate surrender is the it's essentially uh, the ultimate point in a relationship. Not like there are, it's, it's like the peak of the awesomeness or whatever, but it's, it's that point where you truly trust that person and you've let go of all your boundaries. You've let go of all your walls that you've put up, all the, all the, the, the rows of spears you've set against their charge, you know, and it's just, you, you surrender to them for, for finally. And you, you fully erotically give in to loving that person and there is no other feeling like it. Like that's kind of, Lauren's done that a couple of times where she literally just for, for no reason at all, she, she collapses completely in my arms. We, we have the best sleep when we cuddle together. It's just, it, it's magical, you know? We, we're actually learning a lot to trust each other and that's new for both of us because we've both been fucked over by a lot of partners and a lot of people in general. So I'm surprised we're getting along this good this quick. You know, I I think it bodes well for our future. Sure. There'll be tough times, obviously, but we're prepared to get through those as well, because like you said, for better or worse, and there's really nothing that we can do to each other uh, besides repeating old past dramas, which I know not to do to her. And I know she won't do to me that that could rip uh, split us apart. So yeah, we're we're starting to take confidence in that. And and the fact that we've already set boundaries makes us both a lot more comfortable because we know where the other's at. We know that we don't want to hurt the other person. And so we're not going to do the hurtful thing. <laughs> yeah. And, and knowing that you've already discussed that these are your boundaries, but there's always that potential where your boundaries could shift or widen. Maybe they narrow, you know, there's always an ebb and flow in the way that we um, unfold the circumference of our boundaries. And as long as we're having this constant conversation, which I think a relationship really is, is just this evolving conversation of getting to know each other because you never really 
fully know another person, but so long as you're engaging in that exchange, you get to reveal so much about each other day in There's and day out. Word for that. It's What's... called rapport. Mm, yes. Have a rapport with one another. You can never fully become that other person, obviously, because they are a distinct human soul. Yeah. Um, but you can get to the point where you are pretty much living with them and you getting to share this experience with them. And that's, that's very important because honestly, part of this whole experiment created by God or whatever is for us to take this universe and share it and indulge in it with each other. And that's, that, that's really big. (laughs) I'm just, I'm glad that me and her can uh, do that together. I'm glad you and Corey have found that solace in each other because true love is really hard to come by. And you see folks splitting up all the time these days. Mm. It just Nobody can hold down a relationship no matter how long it goes. My mom was married to my dad for 22 years, you know? <laughs> it was, it was yeah. a lot. And it doesn't, it doesn't help that not only do people not set up boundaries, but there's a lot of abusive personality types out there. They so really they, they, they fuck up all of their relationships, no matter what. And folks can't seem to get over themselves. <laughs> I also, do you think too, that, I mean, in this age of social media and the expanse of, of cyberspace, we're also kind of dancing in a new environment of how to relate to people. And we're relating Absolutely. to people in such a new way that nobody has any kind of guidebook for it. And so I think we don't allow each other enough grace and understanding in that component. I see so many relationships end over a Facebook like or a share or something. And I think. Uh, Which are utterly stupid. They're yeah. completely meaningless. Like yes. if I don't respond to your messenger, that doesn't mean we're fighting. I probably looked at it while high as fuck and trying to make waffles and I forgot you existed. <laughs> <laughs> like. We're not fighting because I didn't reply to you on Facebook. We're not fighting because I liked that dude's post that was some, I don't know, maybe it was a political message. Maybe it was something you just didn't like. It doesn't mean that I have any problem with you, you know? Like, since when are our blue thumbs up on a screen gonna friggin' split people from love, you know? That's utterly ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah, and I think that demand for reaction to notification has kind of like poured its way into our day-to-day lives and our our real lives, I guess, or in real life with our face-to-face interactions. When my husband and I are having a discussion, I'm not like, hey, hey, what's your response, right? We're, We're having this this facilitation of I'm saying things, you're processing these things, you're responding back to me, what you're hearing me say, you're, you're then adding a statement to it. And now I'm processing and I'm able to think, but we don't allow for that in cyberspace. We need a reaction now. We need a reaction now. We need the top latest stories right now. Headlines. What are they? What is your emoji reaction? And then we take that way of interaction and then kind of impose it onto our intimate relationships and no thoughts need time to make love right conversations are intercourse and do you really want it over that quickly i mean i guess but you know you want this to be an unfolding thing and so i think i think that contributes a lot to a lot of the problems that people are having within relationships is they're having that expectation that everything is insta and intimacy is not instant yeah Right. Yeah. A lot of people have it. Hell, even a couple of my siblings have it because they just get given whatever they want immediately. And that teaches people that they can, that they can and should, and are deserved to have the thing that they want the instant they want it. 
And yeah. that's just not realistic for anyone to hold up. So if you're gonna if you're gonna be angry at someone for not giving you what you wanted, literally in the five seconds that you thought about it, like, well, sorry, you're just gonna cause yourself a lot of pain. And like you said, don't bring expectations into the goddamn relationship unless they're very baseline. Like, don't cross this boundary, you know? Like, if you yeah. set a boundary, that's in and itself an expectation, but it's a reasonable one. If you start expecting a bunch of stupid shit, like, you gotta always like my posts or you gotta uh, have this specific reaction to all of my online content stuff or you gotta not talk to this person online because I don't like them or whatever. It's just stupid. And even in-person expectations, like, for example, a big expectation that I should really, really bring up is the expectation to orgasm in the mm. bedroom, which is mm. a big thing for a lot of people because I'm pretty sure I suffer from male anorgasmia. And Lauren's the only one who's been able to get me past that a lot. You know, is, that um, is interesting because it's goal-oriented, right? Orgasm yeah, is yeah, goal-oriented. That's the point of sex, but it's not. It's not at the same time. And when it is purely goal-oriented, all you got to think is I got to come because that's what they they want me to do and instead of indulging in the pleasure of being uh that that intimately connected with your partner which is the difference with lauren is that me and me and her we've both had talks about that sometimes it's hard for her to orgasm because she's having a bad day or i'm i was really stressed when i first moved in with her we had sex like three times and i didn't i didn't come anytime and it was it was just a lot and you can't ex always expect that kind of something out of a relationship because that the expectation itself drives it away it really no, does. And <laughs> all of our outside influences can impact our sexual desire in the first place and our capacity to orgasm. A lot of the, yeah. I've often talked about, I always have to get out of mommy mode before I can do anything with my husband. If I have a million things on my mind, or if I'm stressed about something, if I don't kind of mentally dump that out, either by journaling or by just venting to my husband or writing or whatever it is, if I don't mentally prepare myself to get ready for connection and intimacy, I can't. Like, and I have a dumb routine and my husband, God love him, is totally, you know, supportive of it. But I'm like, if he, he lets me know he wants to have sex, which we do because we communicate to each other. I kind of want to have sex yeah. with you tonight. But when yeah. we do that, it's like he knows, okay, after we put the kids to bed, I'm going to listen to some music. I'll probably do something stupid and mindless, like play one of my games on my phone because I just want to decompress from everything Deep else. Up. Right. And the hard drive. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. And just kind of get ready. And so I'll listen to like, I have sex playlists I'll put on and have a sip of whiskey, whatever it is. And just kind of, I'm getting ready to chill. I mean, sometimes I, I really am like, I'm going to do yoga or um, what also really helps me, which I've been encouraging other women to do for self-esteem um, development as well is I started dancing for my husband. It's just a way for me to <sighs> let me just dance all this shit out of me. Right. But I dance for him. And then that obviously, you know, turns him on. And then what turns me on is knowing I turn him on. And that's, that's it for a lot of women. Just knowing that's exactly my girl. Yeah. If I know I'm head. turning you on, that turns me on. And men most, mostly prefer knowing what turns their woman on is that they're turning their woman on or that their woman is turned on. That's all it takes. And so, so long as we have those two components and you've had this decompression, sex can be something that can be very easy to get into with no pressure and no anxiety and, 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 and no concern about anything, but we have well, to allow, 
Yeah. Like, it's... like legitimately, thank you for that viewpoint because my girl, she does have um, some self-esteem issues like myself. So I can't exactly judge. We both got the same kind of like, we weren't sure if we were pretty enough or our bodies were, you know, acceptable oh. or whatever. And I feel if she, like she, she kind of distance for me in the mirror sometimes when she's feeling cute, she does a little wiggle and I'm just like, Oh, it's just, it's, it's really cute. And it, it brings us both uh, together to, do that kind of stuff, you know, and even the defragging process, you know, like, uh, I, I, we, we actually both, the first time I uh, orgasmed this week with her was after we both fucking cried in each other's arms that uh, the night before. And kind of really just insane. like got it all out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I was, we, we were, I had some stress on the uh, back burner for a while and it all just came pouring out when hers poured out. Um, and we just, we both needed to just really, really cry. And after that, I've mm-hmm. orgasmed every time we've had sex because I've just been relaxed and I've trusted her and she's trusted me. And she, she actually does this wonderful thing. It must be the Scorpio or something where the instant I come, it doesn't matter how far away she is from doing so, she does too. Nice. <laughs> no, and that, that brings up something very beautiful actually is that you both were so able to surrender to vulnerability with each other that it, it can totally unlock all of the clogs. It can break down all of the walls that we don't even realize we have that can make yeah. sex more pleasurable. I mean, that's, that's legitimate. There's science behind that is that when we can allow ourselves to surrender, the sex just gets better and better. But nobody's teaching anybody to do that, right? You're like, don't have sex. It's gross. It's dirty. Don't do it. Don't do it, dude. Okay, now you're married and you better be a fucking pro. And don't you dare ask each other questions because now you're going to show how incapable and incompetent you are. So then you have all of these fears. And, and yep. <laughs> and so that's another thing that's really important in relationships, especially new ones, is not only are you setting relationship boundaries, and 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 discussing how many partners you want or what have you but now we move into what are our sexual boundaries and what are our you know what are our sexual skills and what talents do we want to develop and what newness do we want to bring into the relationship what new sex acts do we want to try and let's talk about what sexual experiences we've had i know a lot of people don't they're like i don't want to hear about how many people you've been with i don't want to know what you've done with other people but i'm like don't you because i always I, oh, what have you done? What have you done? You know, like it's my, it's my resume, right? It's my erotic (laughs) resume. And we should present that erotic resume. I'm going to write on that, but we should present that to people to let them know where we're at. If we're not letting each other know where we're at, we're never going to get to anywhere with each other. You know, how are you supposed to have good, good bedroom experiences if you're not going to have that kind of communication, you know, because I mean, hell let's take uh, virgins, for example, uh, me as a virgin had no fucking clue what I was doing. I kind of put the condom on. It really, really hurt because it was too small. And uh, I just did what I think I should have. And I tried to find the vagina. It literally took me two minutes just to locate where the actual orifice was because she wasn't helping me. <laughs> I know I my like, first time I just laid do? there. <laughs> I didn't know what to do either. And I'm like, am I doing it right? Do I just lay here? Like what? <laughs> And that's, that's another big difference I have with Lauren is we, we talk about each other's fetishes and quirks. We talk about new positions we want to try. We talk about whether it's more comfortable to lay down or sit up when she's in cowgirl, like shit specific, really specific like yeah. that. Yeah, we, no, we need to be communicating, <laughs> right, while we're even trying these new exercises and positions, we should be, yeah. that's part of the consent and the continue, not to continue to consent, but does this feel okay? Am I still getting approval for this? Yeah. 
yeah. you know, Dan feel good to you. <laughs> yeah, there's this writer um, and podcaster, Dan Savage. He talks about, you know, being game for anything is really important in a sexual dynamic and trying yeah. it more than once because the first time we try things, it's probably not going to feel as great because we're going to be anxious and unsure of what we're doing. But experimenting is continuing to try things and then ruling them out after yeah. you've given it a go a few times, not going, here are what I don't do. I don't do anal sex. I don't do blow jobs. Um, and you can't go down on me. And it's like, why have you come in with such restrictions already? Why would you want yeah. to limit your love in such a way? But a lot of people I think do that because you've got these purity culture influences and you've got this sex is dirty narrative. And so nobody wants to talk about it. Sex is still so very taboo. And so what we just need to continue to do is just push further into developing conversations around this within relationships. I mean, conversation, conversation. Yes. Yes, exactly. And, and that's, that, that's a great thing with, with Lauren too, is that we can just, we can just talk about it, you know, like we can talk about literally anything and I can try new things with her. And if I didn't like the first time I can come back for a second go around, or if she didn't like the first time I can, uh, discuss with her what she would have liked better and uh, we can just go from there like I, she's actually the first woman that I've enjoyed uh, going down on I've got to say because uh, um, I was very scared to because people pee out of there and I didn't know if I wanted to put my mouth <laughs> down there you know and that was that was my thoughts just after losing my virginity card and it took me a while to kind of get over myself you know especially with the whole sex is uh, a dirty narrative that I was still still picking out of my brain um, but with her, she didn't want to push me because she knew I had, you know, she knew I didn't have good experiences beforehand with it. But then I eventually just wanted to try it anyway, because one night I was just feeling extra experimental and horny and I decided to eat her pussy and, uh, well, what do you know? It tastes good. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, it's, it's a really, I love that you bring that up because so many people are not taught about oral sex. And I think there's, there's such a there's such a desire for it, but people are like, I don't want to ask anybody else what to do, but it's such a, it's, it's such a natural uh, next move in the bedroom. I mean, when you think about the erogenous zones and you think about why our pheromones like attract each other, attract us to one another, you can't help but think it has a lot to do with the smells and the fluids down there. They're, they're these natural, beautiful resources of, of pleasure and taste and sensation that adds to the erotic dimension. But, you know, there's no one even wants to talk about, well, I mean, when I, so for instance, when I started having sex, you know, I talked to my mom about it, but she didn't, she didn't tell me it was messy. She didn't tell me, make sure you have a washcloth next to you when he finishes. She didn't, she, nobody taught me about like making sure you go cleanse your areas before you engage in sex. I mean, some really simple, stupid stuff. Like I even have seen Cardi B say dumb things like nobody's teaching you hoes this, but you need to wash your pussy before sex and brush your motherfucking teeth. And I thought that is literally really good hygiene information to tell people. <laughs> And people are like, how dare she say that? And I'm like, applaud her for saying that. Can we please continue the sex education in yeah. these really simple things? Did you brush your teeth after you ate dinner before you started engaging in the oral pleasures? Can you do that? And I just think 
Yes. Little stupid leads, shit is important. It leads really well into something that happened to me where I wasn't, I mean, I was told that I had to clean under my foreskin because I was uncircumcised. Uh, my parents thankfully left me that little beauty there. And um, <laughs> I'm pretty grateful for their decision on my part. Um, but and I didn't really register that I really had to, you know, and I, I ended up getting a yeast infection for like a month that I didn't know how to get rid of because I just didn't wash under there. And now I know I got to pull it back and just put a little bit, you know, hot water is all it takes. And girls too, the smegma collects under both the clitoral hood and the uh, foreskin. And while smegma isn't dangerous or gross and it's not actually filth like people tend to uh describe it as it might not always taste good so you just kind of you eat it you know like it yeah you, you make you make your pots clean so that your partner isn't distracted by little things that could or could not turn them off you know and let and, us also remember that our diet influences our taste and so we can yep. be mindful of eating more natural foods so that we can keep a natural odor and taste about ourselves. This so. is why girls apparently think I seem to taste good because I'm on keto. I like all my meat. I'm very invested in uh, healthy eating and I therefore have a healthy penis. <laughs> and, and, and lots of fruits can also help with that men. Just so you know, I make sure my husband has pineapples all the time. Cranberries is good pineapples. too. <laughs> pineapples, good stuff. mangoes, all the good acidic fruits are really good for you. Keep you kind of keep your alkalinity and acidity levels pretty balanced and keep yeah. your overall body odor smell. I mean, everything, everything we put in our bodies affects the way our body smells. So we're mindful of that as well. Like, yeah. so obviously if you are what you eat, you put out what you eat in one form yeah. or another of a waste product. And that waste product doesn't have to be terribly gross. Exactly. So I do that to myself, you know, like, uh, um, there was one, um, bisexual woman that I used to know. Her name was Rebecca. And uh, we worked at Hannaford together and she was actually talking to me about my slight fear of oral at the time. And she was like, you know, I can't really blame you because some ladies, you go down on them and they just don't taste good. You know, like it really, <laughs> really turns you off. And I'm sure that's with some men too, where you, you start sucking on their dick and it just tastes bleh. Like my, yeah. my best friend, um, Anna, or my former best friend rather, um, Anna, she, she uh, sucked this guy off once and she was literally gagging in the sink after like, like that, that bad because his diet was such utter shit. And he, his only alcohol was like Corona. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So beer can really make a man taste kind of icky. So be careful with that. This is fair. I do drink beer, but not enough to uh, counteract everything else. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. I'm hoping the raspberries are helping. <laughs> that helps a lot too is uh, cleanliness, but you don't have to go overboard with uh, cleanliness either. Because no. using various products on your vagina, for example, really throws off the pH, makes it, it really acidic, and it really hurts in the long run. Same with like dick products. And a lot of those chemicals shouldn't be on such sensitive tissues anyway. Mm, that's They're a really good point. Yeah. I think that, that's a lot of nerve endings. <laughs> I think Vagicel recently came under fire. I noticed from different sexologists who were talking about like, hey, can you stop letting these young women know that if their coochie smells, that's a bad thing and that they need your fragranced products? And I thought, this is really good. Like, my, I, I remember asking when I was like 12 or 13, I seen a commercial for Vagisil douching products and I just kind of looked at my mom and I'm like, where does that go? And what? And she was like, don't use that shit. You don't want to put perfume up your pussy. All you need is hot water. If you're feeling dirty after your period, it's not a big deal. And I mean, but again, those little things, I don't remember my health teacher teaching me that, you know, yep. I don't, I don't yeah. remember any sex ed that taught me about personal hygiene. And so, I mean, 
I'm that way with my kids. They're young. And I'm like, I'm going to show you the proper way to cleanse your areas because this is important. I mean, if we're not teaching our kids how to touch themselves and clean themselves, I, what are we even doing? And so yeah, I, because then I, they're not, they're not going to know when they enter adulthood, they're going to waltz around all confused like the rest of us did. And then they're going to have a bunch of heartbreaks and drama because yeah. of it. And, yeah. and besides like me getting a friggin' really annoying month long yeast infection, I literally had no idea how to deal with it. And then I finally went to Planned Parenthood. They gave me some antifungals and I finally figured out how to get rid of that crap. And I was like, I was so grateful because nobody really emphasized it to me, even though my mom told me to peel back the foreskin and clean under it, you know, I never took it seriously. Yeah. And, and no, nobody told me what would happen if I didn't, you know, and which is funny because it took years of, of, of me not doing that for that yeast infection to even occur literally years. Right. And why <laughs> wouldn't we get into further conversations about what we're preventing when we're doing these actions? I remember, um, when, what did I said something to my son earlier? I think last week I was like, uh, make sure you're washing your butt and your penis in that shower. And he was like, yeah, I do that all the time, but why are you so worried about it? And I'm like, well, we've been running around a lot today. We had done yoga and like lifting weights and everything. And I'm like, you're really sweaty. And like, you know, your penis does get smelly. And he's like, I didn't even think about that. If they're not thinking about it, you have to tell them to a point what they should be thinking about or what they can choose to think about later and not to create some kind of OCD program, but awareness. Our kids need to be aware, but then we're scared about talking about these things with our kids. Right. And I won't lie. There are still some parts of sex that I am like, I don't know how to have this conversation yet. You're nine and, or you're, you know, my twins are nine and a half. And then I have a 10 and a half year old son. And it's like, I'm like, eh, if I open this door, I don't know what I'm going to see behind it. And so we all still struggle, but if we can start with the little things like, ladies, keep your coochies clean, men, keep your penises clean. We can start having better conversations about things that we all know is like a part of our lives and we won't feel so uncomfortable about it. Like even if women want to sit down and be like, don't be using that bad just so fragrance on your pussy. It's bad for you or whatever it is. Men talking about not using too much cologne because it's actually really bad for their systems and it's bad for women and whatever it is. It's like we need to find a comfort level to have sexual conversations with one another without people thinking that means we want to have sex with them. Does that make sense? Yeah, which is, which is huge because not, just because I'm talking about sex with you doesn't mean that I am trying to flirt with you. I'm yes. honestly, sometimes I'm having an anatomical conversation because another big thing about sex education we don't get these days is how to actually manipulate uh, the, the organ that you're focused on, whether it's vagina or a penis, in order to produce pleasure. And people don't know each other's anatomy and that really fucking sucks. Cause yeah. like, for example, my first girlfriend, uh, neither of us knew how a blowjob was supposed to go, but she didn't peel back my foreskin for it to expose the very sensitive glands. And as a result, I just didn't feel anything, just nothing at all. And I kind of, I kind of had to fake moan through it cause I was really anxious and the, uh, nobody really taught me anything. So I had to, learn about female anatomy myself i was on the web from about 16 years old looking up where the female g-spot was where the clitoris was what's around the clitoris what does a vagina tend to look like you know i wanted to learn so that if whatever woman i got lucky enough to land with i could make her really happy you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it worked out for me because 
I mean, I don't even understand the memes about men not finding the clitoris anymore because it's literally right there. It's, it's a little <laughs> button on the top. It's, <laughs> it's the pleasure pretty, button. It's right there. <laughs> I literally call it the button and it's right there. And it gave me a lot of confidence when I went down on my girl too, because I knew where it was and I knew how to use the tongue. So with the, I just soared straight off into the major leagues, you know, like I actually know what I'm doing because I taught myself, but I, we shouldn't really have to teach ourselves because we, we're, we're just not told any of this cleanliness, pleasure, any of it. We're not told by anyone, even sex ed, sex ed. The only thing sex ed in the schools is there for is to make you scared of STDs and that's yeah. it. That's basically what it, we need comprehensive reform. Totally. Yeah. Or maybe we just, I don't know. I mean, I'm not for public schooling, so I shouldn't yeah, say that. But if you want to, if you want to make it better, start teaching these kids about their bodies and teaching them to develop a comfort with their bodies. And, and I mean, going so far as to, I like a lot of these different um, meditation programs where, um, you know, you stand in front of the, of the mirror naked and you like literally look at your body and you check it out and you touch it and you see where everything connects and you understand it. And this is a really good practice for women again. And I've gone through this, trying to learn how to love your body again, especially for me, it was really hard because I had stretch marks after all these kids and you start gaining weight and your body morphs into something else. And you're like, what do I do? And if you can learn how to reconnect with the form you were, you were given and, and you can learn how to love your flesh and you can see it. You get to a point where you're like, fuck, I am really sexy. I do turn myself on. And we want our children to get to that point. I know it's scary to say I, don't, I want my kids to feel sexy at some point, but I really do. And I can't get them there until I'm at least giving them the foundation of, do you know how your body functions? And let's talk yep. about all the functions that you're curious about. Let's fill those curiosities with the right information, with developed information, so that you can become a confident person. Because what you, what you said, you became more confident in your ability to give your woman pleasure. And when we have confidence in ourselves and our abilities, again, that makes sex all the more rewarding. It makes and, it way better. And you're not going yeah. to feel sexy if you go into the situation not knowing what you're doing and then you make a bunch of mistakes and then you and your girl just stare at each other like you don't know what to do because this has been, this has been the case with me once where my, uh, my first girlfriend ever, I, I popped her cherry with my fingers and that, I, I wasn't expecting that one. And she got so close to orgasm and then she, she didn't even know what that was supposed to feel like. So when she started feeling that, she demanded I stop and we just, we just stared at each other for like 30 seconds before I took my fingers out of there and I just didn't know what to do. I didn't know what I did wrong, you know? And it, it like, that's even something that we could talk about is literally being, being unfamiliar with the feeling of an orgasm and freaking out about it as a result, because it's so new when it first happens. It like, is. And it's like you lose control and you don't know what's happening. And again, no one's telling you about an orgasm. Like, yeah, mom, what's yeah. an orgasm feel like? You're too young to know that. Oh, so will, I, will you I, ever I, tell I, me? I didn't masturbate until I was 17 because of the whole abstinence thing. And I didn't even really consider it a useful activity. I'd tried before and I just never got anywhere with it. And then one time I just got really angry and I shut myself in my room and I wanted to, you know, just, just blank out on something. So I impulsively looked up porn had the first orgasm ever at 17 and I was like I literally couldn't think my brain was completely scrambled I had no idea what happened you know and I just sat there on the edge of my bed with my head in my hands going oh my god that's why it's so special that's why they tell me to wait till marriage because of that energy 
And that, that for a second, it reinforced my sexually repressive beliefs because it just felt so out of sorts. <laughs> you know, that's a really, that's a really good point. It, it, it unleashes so much energy and you don't know what to do with it. And again, we are these amazing bodies that create energy, but if we're not given the guidance and what to do with that energy, it can turn into an addiction, you know, and people can think that they, they always need to go towards this kind of mode of behavior in order to feel relief or they search for something else. Yeah, but, or, or in my case, where at first they're uncomfortable with the very sex itself, so they don't even know if they want to They're afraid to, to touch them. themselves. Yeah, yeah. like, like I, even after that, I was, uh, uh, for a while, uh, speaking of anorgasmia from earlier, I, see, I seem to suffer from situational male orgasm, anorgasmia, where I have trouble um, ejaculating under the gun of trust issues and a, 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 a bunch of other stuff, but also um, there's just something like 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 along the lines of light porn addiction that I uh, that I uh, got because I orgasmed that first time and then I was like but wait that means I could do it again and then I started do I did it again the next day and then the next day and then the next day and then I got myself used to the feeling of my hand rather than a woman or the inside of a vagina you know and that that in itself was a a hurdle because I wasn't even told that that could happen I wasn't told that I could get carried away you know and and other than that that's probably a partial bit of my anorgasmia because I know I have other male friends who were mild porn addicts and we all have the same story we last one at one hour one and a half hours two hours and the, the, our girls still can't get us off sometimes and it's like that can be a source of embarrassment and and, mm. and lack of confidence and self-esteem tanking in the bedroom sometimes um and so so we're not taught moderation either and things. Yeah. (laughs) And then I can't help but wonder what's going through their minds when they're taking this long. Is it just all a focus on, I, I, I can't even, I, I just don't know. I'm just curious, just thinking out loud here. But when I think about that kind of experience, it's what happens when it just becomes this mechanical robotic action aiming for this end result of her orgasm. And then I can orgasm. When, when do we sl- splice away from that and make it about none of this is about the action or the goal. This is about a connection that I'm experiencing with exactly. this other person. Like we need to focus back on that. And my flesh is touching her flesh and, and I'm, I'm closest to any other human that I can be in this moment. And, and yeah, the pleasure is a byproduct of it, but it's not supposed to be the 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 means to an end right it's yep and you're right about, about the robotic bit because porn is very very robotic it I just, really I look, is I thing I, I look up anything from a range of topics like for for one thing that's another thing that uh, porn users tend to suffer from is the sheer volume of media on porn sites and, and on image sites and stuff because i can bounce between 75 images uh, mm. and like literally decide which one I want to orgasm to or, or like put off my orgasm until I find a hotter one or whatever. Like, like I've been on porn sites uh, oh. occasionally for an hour, two hours, literally like edging myself because I haven't found something that I really, really, really want to release to yet. But there's no love in it either. It's just my hand going up and down and that's literally it. And the, the end byproduct, the goal is the, um, is the orgasm. And then that doesn't translate well over to real sex because yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't quite immerse myself in my first couple sexual encounters because I didn't know how to be present in the experience. My brain 
beforehand was used to watching something on a screen and doing literally nothing else. So like, I wasn't even aware that like sex was as much of an organized, um, an organized exercise as it was. Yeah. Like you have to wait for it and then you have to actually exert yourself. And sometimes I still, I, I get tired and then I just can't reach orgasm if I like my abs start hurting or something. So it, a lot of it's very new to me and I'm starting to slowly give up porn because of it. Cause it just means nothing in comparison to the lovely lady that I have. <laughs> yeah. And what's interesting about porn use too, is I think what it, it, what it does is it, we like choices, but what happens when we have too many choices and we have too yep. many possibilities of what can stimulate us? We become overwhelmed with stimulation. We're overstimulated. But then when you you're, get that much stimulus and you can't focus on just the one girl before just you. Just one. Yeah. Because yeah. You're not having, you know, you're not watching these compilations with banging bass music where like 16 to 34 girls are shown off in different sexual positions yeah. and shit like it just doesn't work like that in real sex so it's not it it doesn't translate well at all not to say that pornog pornography and masturbation is always bad they have their place it's yeah, just if you get if you get way too into it you can lock yourself away from properly experiencing um real sex and, i have to and, say and i've never even watched a porn like in its entirety. I, I've utilized porn. It has been a while since I've actually gone on a porn site, but the only reason I utilize it is to put me in the mood. Like I'm like, show me something real quick so I can be like, yeah, I'm ready. And literally that's what I do. And that's only if I'm struggling with decompressing out of mommy mode. So I'm like, all right, what's a quick thing that'll, you know, get me in the mood. Yeah. And then I'm done. And so, I mean what what happens when you're thinking that you have to go through the whole porn and that you oh what's next and what what else is out there is you're you're creating all of these ideas in your head you're flooding yourself with all of this stuff and that is going to be what you're seeing when you're having sex then yeah yeah and it doesn't let you like focus fully on the on the sensations and the situation you're in and you're just your brain's all over the place because it, it it expected that same massive stimulation you know yeah. and when you get your brain going on a neuronic pathway you have to oh well i guess i fucked up with my brain plasticity time to reset the neuron chain or whatever and it's just yeah it's nice though because i've discovered that i can use porn in the same way you do to turn me on where i can i can literally get to the point of almost orgasming and then edge off back off and then i can wait even hours for my girlfriend to get home and those have been some of my most successful orgasms because i'm already friggin' pent up <laughs> yeah you and know doctor of, oh sorry uh, it's a way of it's just a way of returning that uh, energy to myself as well because when you when you edge you bring all that orgasmic energy back inside yourself for reassembly and um, redirection and it's even more powerful like you can you can edge during sex and yeah, you yeah. get more and more powerful orgasms as a result yeah, I, 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 we've been known to do that, to just kind of, we take breaks, we slow down, we, um, we literally take snack breaks and kind of refuel and rehydrate and reset. It's a really nice way to kind of like yeah. be able to go all night without overexerting the actual, that, that's, that's the the actual motion. Yeah. And, um, because uh, yeah. me and my me me and my girl have had to take plenty of breaks because I can't I can't always nut first time around and I get hungry we get tired we need a rest and then we're still horny so we want to go at it again and then it's 
it, it doesn't have to be, you know, one long session of just pure passion, you know, you can take freaking breaks. It's an exercise. Oh, yeah. gotta, take breaks, have a conversation, put on a new song. I yeah. say change your lingerie, do something different. I can go through like five outfits in a night if I'm really feeling like it. I yeah. mean, or like sometimes you can just spend, I honestly, with, with the way me and my girl's relationship is, we can perform oral on each other for, for a long, long time. So it, it could be as relaxed as that, you know, where I'm just, hey, here, enjoy my mouth for a while. You sit back and, and relax. reciprocating, and going back and yeah. forth, sharing back and forth. Yeah. One yeah. thing I was going to talk about earlier was just um, a while back, I had Dr. David Lay on the podcast and mm-hmm. he's a New York Times bestselling author. He's a psychologist, focuses on... Um, on sexual traumas, but he wrote a book called, um, the myth of sex addiction. And he talked about porn addiction in there too. And just, I mean, he's a lot of people go against what he says, but an idea that he shares is that porn and sex are not the actual things that people are addicted to, but it's just a different substance that people are utilizing. They're not really addicted to that, but they have these traumas, but they usually have other addictions, alcohol, that's drug, that, whatever that's it actually is. Exactly right. I would, I would agree with it's that. It's kind of uh, a fully. covert cover for the true addiction yeah. and then the trauma that you're refusing to acknowledge. With the people that get, yeah. Really does is it produces pleasure chemicals in your brain, oxytocin, things like that. You know, yep, serotonin. Yeah, you can you can crave those same chemicals the same way you crave the way heroin or alcohol yep. or weed or whatever else makes you feel. You can become addicted to anything. It's not the act itself that is an addictive. It is the result that they get from it, where they get to hide from the world in their drug a little longer. And that's yeah. why people get addicted in the first place. Like nobody wants to be fucking addicted to heroin. So why do people? You know, yeah. like because that they've suffered such bad trauma that they don't feel like they can get away from it or they can't get love out of anything else. Like, honestly, I bet you that some people are so traumatized and so alone that that drug feels like the first warm hug they've ever felt. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that can apply to anything, anything at all. And I, I, I like that this guy addresses sexual trauma, too, because I have suspected sexual trauma. My, my girlfriend has uh, both confirmed and suspected sexual trauma. And we both have trouble opening up to people, especially erotically because of it, because we've been injured in a place that really nobody should be injured in. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I've honestly, I just, I, I don't, obviously I don't remember anything uh, from, from my childhood, but both of us have suspicions that we might've been, you know, molested in our childhood. We don't have any proof of that because we can't remember it. It's just, we have such, such anxiety about everything, such, such trauma when it comes to all of our daily interactions, we just don't know what else it is. Now, a lot of it could be that there's just a lot of touch trauma association. Cause I mean, a lot of times you hear people talk about your issues are in your tissues and why touch therapy and tapping therapy and ASMR therapies, did I say that right? Um, can help with, or maybe it's SMR. I can't remember the different types of, yeah, different types of physical touching therapies can actually help us kind of reconcile what our traumas are. They can help release it. That's And a lot of times that's why sex can be that kind of release for you or why holding someone in your arms and crying with them, it's that touch itself that can help you unclog your emotional distress and your previous traumas. Now, I'm I'm not saying that you haven't been through sexual trauma, but oftentimes any kind of trauma can upset 
um, how we are with our sexual desire and our sexual urges. It can be something as simple as this one time someone made me feel so humiliated when I was being really authentic about myself and revealing my quote unquote naked self that I just wanted to continue to cover up. Um, and so just as, as just maybe a bit of uh, something you can just consider. It could be something else too. It doesn't necessarily, sometimes when we are having sexual insecurities, it's not necessarily because we have a sexual trauma. It can be, you're, it can you're be right. Yeah. So you're I just right. want to like, like, look, I got, lay I got that out there for other people. So yeah. Yeah. It, it could just be because that I was experienced a lot of violence as a child and I don't yeah. trust people pushing me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. There or, are so many prefer. components that can influence how our sexual anxieties and behaviors that, I yeah. just want I just want the listeners to be aware it's not always just a sexual trauma that can fuck with us sexually. It's yeah, it can yeah. it can be the way that nurse treated you three weeks ago while you were you know in there to get a to to get a test or whatever. It, or and that you can right mm -hmm. you can we always subconsciously kind of compile just stupid little Ugh, that trigger reaction that it can be relayed in a different way even sexually. Yeah. So and, and um, like I said I have no I have no proof that that kind of thing happened to me and I'm really hoping it didn't I would be glad if I managed to avoid that because too many people have have to deal with that yeah. uh, my girlfriend she has um she has legitimate sexual trauma from that so that does play into that some some uh she was moving into an apartment and the landlord got way way over over um extended with her and that you know that yeah. that will fuck with anyone but Very you're right. absolutely right it doesn't have to be sexual trauma to cause us to have issues in our erotic lives because like my inability to uh, orgasm from the last week was because i just got evicted from a place i was comfortably yeah. settled in yeah and stress I, can do it yeah literally just stress i mean hell stress is the number one killer in america even above heart disease yeah. Just and clean old stress. <laughs> a lot of the studies that are coming out during this kind of COVID era are also showing that sexual activity is decreasing among people because of this additional stress and all of this fear. It, it yeah. can take away from your sexual desire and make you feel like there's too much hopelessness in the world to sit down and experience this pleasure. I know a lot of people are feeling that way. Like I got no business having sex and enjoying my life when all of these other things are going on. But now that's selfish too, because you're denying yourself pleasure. And when we deny ourselves pleasure, that is a selfish act. If you ask. Yeah. Me. Which, which is, which is um, ironically uh, true <laughs> because you're not, you're not allowing yourself to be loved in a way right. and you're blockading yourself from yourself. So in a way it's selfish because you're running from yourself, which, yeah, it sounds very yeah. circular, but it, like it, it makes perfect sense to me anyway. Yeah. And yeah, with this, with this COVID stuff, all sorts of stuff has been de decreasing and increasing. Like uh, people are having less sex, domestic abuse shit is on through the roof now because everybody's yeah. stuck at home and the poor kids in those situations, I can't even imagine not having a place to flee to like school. Yeah. You know, and like I mentioned from earlier, all those abusive per personality types fucking it up for everyone is yeah. uh, it's a big deal because if you haven't, if you don't have the human capacity to learn and grow and evolve and be emotional with your partner, you're just never going to have a good relationship, you know, or you might have a solid one, but it's going to be very toxic. And I've seen those happen too, where they love each other to death, but they fight like cats and dogs and it's really unhealthy and they're both going to die at like age 50. <laughs> 
Yeah. And you know, the, the thing is, is we all do have the human capacity to develop and cultivate this way of being authentic and vulnerable and trustworthy yeah. and loving with one another. But we have Absolutely. so many different obstacles and narratives that are confusing us that all we can really offer is patient, patience and grace for people right now and hope that while they're confined to limited spaces and circumferences, that they're taking the opportunity to have more sex if they can and to find simple joys in life because that's really all we have. Honestly, I think sometimes the answer to world peace is just more sex. Um, I honestly wonder <laughs> if you're right because I feel if everybody just started fucking having more sex and really believing in themselves in that way and just connecting with each other on that deeper level, we would we would be a lot chiller. <laughs> we really would. We wouldn't be reactive. We wouldn't be so stress-ridden. We wouldn't be so anxious. And honestly, th there is such an effervescent aftermath that just lingers after sex that, yep. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, taking 50 antidepressant pills all at once and just living on a high until the next time, or until you can figure out how to create that kind of experience for yourself and the stupid shit you're doing, right? Like doing dishes or doing something mundane, like uh, cooking Monday meatloaf again, whatever it is. Yeah. We, it, it shows us how to create these joyful experiences out of these simple things. Like sex is really simple. It's like one of the yep. most basic human things we can do. And what it unfolds for us is, is to show us all the beauty and all of the layers of all of the really simple things. And I think that's where we as a society need to move towards. Less is more. <laughs> you're, you're, not you're not wrong about the whole 50 antidepressant pill thing either. Yeah. And, uh, minus all the side effects, which is great because it's, exactly. it's honestly like it's a natural antidepressant just to- The only you know, side effect is you may want more of it. So Yeah, right? No, like, <laughs> The other night I was like, I, I orgasmed so hard because I hadn't been orgasming all week that I literally was just on the floor. My girlfriend can attest, she's a witness. She looked back <laughs> at me after trying to put something on the TV and I wasn't there. She's like, where'd you go? And my hand pops up onto the bed from below it. <laughs> I was like, I was, my mind was blown, you know? And after that, you're right about that, um, that effervescent feeling. So you described is like both me and her when we have that connection, when we orgasm together, especially like we, all our worries just drain away. All of our stress is just gone and we just cuddle and everything's right with the world, you know? Yeah. <laughs> That's why they say dream. make love, not war. <laughs> yeah, and I'd, I'd really rather make love instead of war myself. I'm a, I'm a peace, love, hippie guy. All I want is my, my little hobbit house, my, with the farm animals and my weed out in the woods. And I just want to be at peace. Yeah. You know, I got really simple desires for this life. <laughs> and that today's a perfect day to make sure that we're making love and not war. And we still both have a few hours left in the day that we can get that motion going and can create oh, yeah. an effervescence to break up that manic Monday. Um, I could talk to you forever and I've really enjoyed this conversation, but I want to be mindful of your time and wrap up. And I just want you to let the audience know how they can connect with you, Sky. As in like contact me or? or yeah. Yeah. Let's <laughs> connect with Sky. So where are you on social media that they can connect with you? Yeah, um, I have a Facebook. I go under the name uh, Sky Silverwind. Uh, Sky is spelled S-K-Y-E, and Silverwind is just the word silver and wind put together. Uh, it's just a picture of me with my family's parrot on my chest at the moment, so it should be easy to find. <laughs> um, other than that, I have no social media. Um, uh, I have an email. It's my first name, Sky, last name, Silverwind, um, at protonmail.com. 
Right. So if you want to uh, reach me that way, uh, you're welcome to. If my message has inspired anyone, please feel free to uh, reach out. Because I felt, I felt like after having gone through so many bad relationships and then finally finding a healthy one, I had a lot to say yeah. about, about that kind of stuff. I wanted to give people um, an idea of, of what a lot of healthy relationship stuff to do was because all of us young people, especially our naivete gets us in so much trouble. Our lack of education. We just don't know what the fuck we are doing. <laughs> None so of us really that, do. We're all still figuring it out. Right. <laughs> I hope, I hope that I enlightened some people and that I inspired some people and, um, yeah, that's Sky Silverwind signing off. And uh, all y'all go give your partners some uh, seriously good Valentine's Day action. <laughs> exactly. Thank you so much, Sky. I really appreciated you sharing space with me and enjoy your Valentine's Day. Thank you very much, Daniel. I will uh, speak to you soon. Let me know how this goes. That's good. Take care. Take care. Bye.